Welcome to episode 98 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times here with Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. And it's all done. It's wrapped up. The season is in the can. Had a busy weekend in Peoria, and we are going to talk about it all. We got a load of questions from the mailbag. We'll hit that first, do two takes, and then anything we haven't hit on, I guess, we'll review from the state tournament. Are you uh, you have postseason malaise, Joe? How do you feel? A little bit. A little bit. That that Friday sectional run through Saturday championship night. You throw that super sectional in there, and then it's uh, yeah. I guess you could start with the Tuesday sectional semifinals, and then all the way through. That's just a. It's quite a grind. Uh, you're churning out stories, and you're going to games, and you're making calls, and so yeah, little little uh, worn out, but um, another season in the books. Indeed. Yeah, I've noticed. A, I'm getting older. B, I never used to go. Okay, not never, but I generally did not used to go to Peoria both weekends. I would, you know, sometimes I'd go down if there was like a Hales in the title game for A or something, but generally I would not. I'd, there'd be another reporter that would cover that. I know Mark Potash used to like to go. Um, some other people some other years. So yeah, having to go out of town back-to-back weekends has... And we know Joe's love affair for 1A, 2A basketball. So. Indeed, you're becoming famous for your... Uh, I mean, everybody <laughs> knew you didn't like 3A, but now you've just basically <laughs> turned on everyone. Uh, I, I, no, I, I, I'll give 2A some props. I almost like 2A more than 3A. Really? Well, not really. I'm just trying to be nice. Garner some but... favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know there. I saw a lot of people. I don't know what Providence St. Mel wants from me. I mean, you know, they're ranked in like the teens in the final rankings, even though they won a state title. But it's like, what do you want me to do? I mean, I don't know. I'd be more than happy to talk about the '85 team. I love that one. All right, but I mean, not that it, I, this is great and all, but yeah. that St. Mel in 1985, when I was a youngster, was I, I still remember them going to Pontiac and still I just it was just an iconic team it was unbelievable to watch that team but that was 95 2030 30, 34 years ago yeah before uh, my time Joe before yeah. my time yeah I I mean they lost to DePaul prep by like 20 and I was there and so I just can't put them above DePaul prep you know it just doesn't work for me um, I would lose much sleep Mike over the St. Mel ranking all right. As long they as got you their, say so. they got they got their title. Yeah, seriously. That, who that, should that care? Matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boy, is that the truth? Who cares about the um all right. Let's uh start this off. Uh let's see. Oh Marty. Marty Machazic with the question. Um gives us some compliments. And he talks a little bit about the Bradley dumpster fire over the weekend. And the first question, he says, uh, wondering if Evanston's Lance Jones plans to stay firm with his commitment to Southern Illinois, despite the coaching change there. Um, I don't know if you've, I talked to his dad, actually. I mean, it's a, usually a mutual type of thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a wait and see when they make the hire, which I've been told is happening today or tomorrow. Um, you know, they'll sit down with the staff, or the staff will sit down and, and take a look at the recruits and 
get together with the families and talk about it. And somebody might not like somebody or somebody may love somebody. It's all up in the air. And anything otherwise is, you know, it's just that. I mean, they, they, you know, Lance Jones had a terrific tournament. Um, so that was a great way to end his career. But it's just, it's just up in the air when you don't know who your coach is going to be or then the coach didn't recruit that player. That's a standard across the board with all Division One programs. Yeah, we have a couple other local kids heading there. Yeah, Evan Taylor. Yeah. Um, well, Chris Payton. Pa- not Payton. Local, yeah. So it'll be – his dad said that um, basically they don't have a big desire to leave. So – they were leaning towards staying kind of no matter what, unless, you know, like you say, it doesn't, the coach well, it is, isn't a fit. It is tough to start from scratch. I mean, yeah. the recruiting process, it's just, uh, you, and I feel bad for the kids that, that are recruited. It happens all over the country. And I don't know what the percentage would be of ones that stay firm and committed to their school. I would probably put it at 60 or 70%, but, uh, that might be a little too high, but it's, um, it's just a wait and see right now. And it was unfortunate because it it did I mean I'm not gonna say it put a cloud over it, but it was an annoyance that he didn't need during his state tournament run. Um yeah. for sure. So I felt bad for his family for that. I know they they, they told they were annoyed by it. Um they were hoping Mullins got the job because they thought that would be smooth. Um so we shall see. We'll see how that goes. All right, and Marty's next question. Also, would like your thoughts on what the future may hold for three. You know what? Actually, before we go on, I would like to. Um, Lance Jones's dad. Um, I think his name's Robert. Robert Jones. Um, we've spoken a lot over the years, and you know, Lance didn't always get all of the honors that Evanston and his family thought he might have gotten. And his dad and his family was always really cool about it. Um, they'd ask questions sometimes, but you know, when I answered, you know, they understood and, you know, like Lance Jones didn't make my all state team. Um, he was one of the last guys who came down to him or Ray J Dennis. Um, and I went with Ray J, you know, Ray J's numbers are just incredible. Um, and he had such an impact on that team. So anyway, but I, it, it was cool how they handled it. You know, they, they want, I'm fine with talking to people, especially if they, you know, are civil <laughs> and they can handle things. So I'm going to miss them. They were a good family and a good group of people to deal with. Um, all right. Yeah, that's for, that's for sure. With the, even the contact and, and very appreciative of, mm. of some things that whether I've written or, 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 or critiqued or whatever it might be, his dad has always been really good with, with reaching out to me and, and uh, being appreciative of, of the work and the, and the words. So, yeah, thank you to him, too. Hopefully the college thing works out. Um, all right, Marty says, Also would like your thoughts on what the future may hold for three others who played in Peoria this weekend. Bogan's Rashawn Agee, Rockford East's Sincere Parker, and Evanston's Blake Peters. Rashawn Agee, I think there's another question um, I, I was skimming through that yeah. came in on Rashawn Agee, whether he was a high major. Um, he is not. He's, you know, he's a, he is what he is. He's a six, six and a half five man and that's how colleges pretty much view him hoping he can develop a little bit more uh skill wise and, and maybe be a four or five type guy at the mid-major level and you know that, that's kind of where he's been recruited at and that's where he'll he'll end up uh, you know as long as everything goes smoothly with with everything and sincere parker who had a you know, a great, great junior year. A uh, hundred and some threes. Got he has good size on the perimeter at six three, 
he has that come on, you know, he has something to hang his hat on and that college coaches want. And that's somebody who can space the floor offensively with a shooting ability. And, you know, I have him among my top 10, top 12 prospects in that junior class and have him kind of pegged right now as a mid-major prospect as well. And Blake Peters is going to be an interesting, very interesting player to watch over the next two years. I, I love Blake. I mean, I think everybody loves Blake Peters. They love his shooting. They love his moxie, his IQ, is not a, being afraid of the moment type player. But he does not pass the college coaching look test. You know, he's a maybe six one two guard. You know, he's not a terrific athlete. He does all of his damage shooting the basketball. Uh, but there's also all those intangibles that I just talked about that are going to help him overcome some of his deficiencies. But it's going to be interesting to see just where his, you know, doesn't he's not look like a kid that's going to grow much. He's 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 not he's not a point guard. So there's going to be some questions that you know are going to come up in that recruiting and and the evaluation process over the next two years but again he is an elite shooter and he's shown that he's going to push some state records for three-point shooting over the next two years and uh, but it will be interesting to see kind of the where where we're at two years from now with his recruitment yeah it sure will I mean he's probably gonna be a month I have seen some incredible passing from him I think he's got great you know floor vision yeah he's got a great feel he's got a great feel for the game he's off the charts uh, basketball intelligence. It's just, I mean, he's savvy. It's just the foot speed, the athleticism, and being a little small for a two guard, you know. And, and whether people want to, I, I, it, the, the physical dimensions and the physical attributes of, of prospects is is so huge in the evaluation process for college coaches. Um, it, it just is, and when that higher level of athlete across the board is playing at the next level. It just really becomes challenging for some players. So, but yeah, I mean, he does have like what you said, passing his, his feel and, and, and he's got that, that shooting ability. That's uh, really kind of hard to find uh, the coaches that cover and coaches covet that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not worried. He'll find, <laughs> he'll find a nice spot in two years. Uh, Alex Andre had the next um, question. His first one was about AG. Um, which we covered. And next up, early favorite in Class 4A next year. Wow. I mean, I actually am working on something for next week. Well, I haven't started working on it. I'll look ahead. Uh, so I have not even literally given it one thought, Mike. Um, is there a clear cut? Probably Simeon? Uh, I think it's Bloom. I mean, I want to say Bloom. But I just would have liked a little more out of them in March. Uh, but, yeah, they're Bloom's top two, three teams. It's not like it's a no way. Yeah, Bloom or Simeon. I mean, those Simeon young kids. And I mean, I, we'll see what they add. <laughs> yes. Um, I think Morgan Park is right there, too. Um, well, well, he said 4A. Oh, 4A, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking for my ranking. But for a, I mean, other than that, I mean, I'm higher. Well, I mean, Young, Bloom, and Simeon. I mean, Young, when you got Tyler Beard and DJ Stewart back and, you know, um, Esley Sanjale, right? He's a junior. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- those are the three that come to mind. 
we'll see what they... I'm pretty high on Evanston. I know they're losing a lot, but I really like the people stepping into those roles. And yeah. The, the, yeah. Give me the Frenchman any day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... Uh, I mean, he's good. He's really good. I mean, I, I did a, you know, I did a top 10 player rankings of prospects prior to Peoria. And to be honest, I mean, he could very well be the best prospect right now at Evanston. Uh, Lamont, Lamond, um, Louis, Louis Lesmond. Yeah. Lesmond. I mean, sorry. Yeah. He, he he just has a lot of stuff going for him where he could really blossom uh, over the next two years. So, but yeah, no, I'm high on them too. Um, yeah, probably not number one, but man, by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see them almost in the same spot uh, they are this year. Um, Jalen Gibson really improved throughout the year as well. Um, so yeah, they should be. Um, they'll be a little little bigger next year, um, at least with the starters. And I'm sure Evanston will have some. Uh, they probably have some other sophomores we don't know about, and they'll have some freshmen um, adding to that. All right. Hold on. I got the thing off. Next up, Joseph Christensen, who um, I believe he's a rookie here. Um, he thanks us. He had a great time following along. He says, uh, first question, Belleville West got ahead of Curie early in the semis. When Curie was trying to mount a comeback, several possessions would go by without Dejuan Gordon even touching the ball. Alternatively, in the championship game, when Evanston got ahead of Belleville West, E.J. Liddell was getting the ball constantly and even bringing it up the court. He was, I noticed that. Uh, what do you make of this usage of the star players? Was it good coaching versus bad coaching, or was it just typical of how the players were used within their respective schemes all season? That latter part is pretty true. With I mean, E.J. Liddell and Dejon Gordon are different, completely different types of not only players, but, but even mentality and mindset. Uh, you know, one of my takes coming up here is about that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, EJ was central in everything that they did and that was by design. And when you have a talent like that, it should be, I, I just don't know if Dejuan is, is a, you know, he really hasn't been that guy for, you know, even when Dejuan Gordon has had big games, it, it wasn't necessarily, times where they ran sets for Dejuan or you know they did special things for him he would get it within you know then he's highly efficient with it so I you know I, I guess that's kind of my explanation it's just two different types of players and mindsets yeah no doubt I mean they don't want Dejuan Gordon taking the ball down court you know that's Trevon Hamilton's job that's the way things work best um so yeah that just and you know state Peoria is not the time to be switching things up like that even if you want to get Gordon the ball, I mean that. A lot, in well, a lot, he, go ahead. I, I just say Dejuan is just so effective in what they do, yeah. and you know, Mike and I have talked about it. You know, even with Player of the Year conversations, of you know his numbers were very, very good. But and and I did a little thing of all the top players in Peoria. I mean, most of the stats are, I think, pretty accurate in, in the in the state. Uh, program and online he by far had the fewest shot attempts yeah of any of the top players in peoria and that's just kind of the way it's been all year long it's just been a, a huge sum of the parts for for curie where dejuan did take advantage of his opportunities that's why his numbers were that they were but he's just not one to to, to kind of 
take over and 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 uh, force up shots and maybe you know become higher statistically because of a higher volume. That's just not how the makeup of, of Curie or or Dejan Gordon. Um, yeah, it, and you know Curie took a lot of heat and a lot of people on Twitter calling him overrated and this and that or whatever. I mean, every single team in Peoria had more than one bad game this year. Um, Curie had one. <laughs> and it happened to be, you know, in that game. Yes, Belleville West, I, I think they probably win. We'll do our thing. Well, I think they'd win seven, six out of ten, maybe, against yeah. Curie. Um, I'd, I'd say seven out of ten. But, but it, they would be a lot closer than that. Um, Curie played a, a lousy game, and they're allowed. You're allowed one lousy game in the season. Um, unfortunately for them, <laughs> theirs came at yeah, the I mean, second to worst time. Joe Munoz of Belleville West and I talked quite a bit, and and both leading up to the week and and after the um, the state championship weekend, and and we talked specifically about how shocked we were at the score. I mean. He thought they were going to win, and they did win, and and I thought they were going to win, but I neither one of we never never dreamed that the score would be what it was, and that's exactly what you said it was. It was, you know, give Bella West credit; they did a great job of prep for Curie because they I I thought they had an unbelievable, you know, game plan with, with what they did defensively and and how they picked and choose different spots and who they were going to let beat them and things like that, but. It, it, it was just a bad game. They just, you know, credit Belleville West for putting them in some odd positions that Curie hasn't been in. But more or less, it was just a out of sorts type of game for Curie. And, and if you look at Curie's schedule and who they beat and when they beat them, and I mean, it's nonsense to be disappointed based on that one effort in the state semifinal game where we've seen it happen you know, a number of times with, with teams. Um, we talked about it pre- prior to Peoria. You don't know what's going to happen that first. I think you get a better indication if you can just get through that semifinal. You, I think you saw that with the Evanston-Belleville West game. It's just a high-level game uh, going back and forth and just kind of get those nerves out and you get your bearings and surrounding and your feel for the arena and the atmosphere and the situation and typically you have a better Saturday than, than Friday and and Curie got stung when they had their bad Friday. Yeah, and I mean, what a... And, and I mean, to discount what they did to get there. I mean, the yeah. last 10 games of the season were insane, but I'm not sure many teams I've covered ever could beat Young, Simeon, and Belleville West in a row. I mean, that that's a large ask. Um, right. But yeah, the, the score was shocking. And, you know, it was over, gosh, what, the third quarter? Right. I mean, and the, you know, there was a lot, but that, I guess I would like to also, as long as we're talking about this now, the, yeah, it was kind of, Curie was not used to all those guys fouling out. There was a lot of complaining from the Curie fans about the refs, which, I mean, I don't, I, that's just not the case. Um, it might have been called slightly differently or whatever, but. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't. <clears throat> You know, we always, well, not always, but, you know, you, the officiating is criticized quite a bit. And I saw my fair share of bad officiating prior to Peoria, but more or less, I mean, now that I think about it, I wasn't reacting much to officials' calls. You know, yeah, you can always have this and that, but um, overall, pretty pretty good job, I thought. 
I thought there were way too many fouls. I thought that game was called really annoyingly and kind of ruined it, but it was fair. It was equal. Both teams were. We just right. saw too many free throws. It was super annoying. No, that, yeah, that's true. I, I, I just, I just, I keep going back to the one-sided. You know, overall, I didn't see a team that just got shafted in Peoria by no, officials. No, not at all. So yeah, <clears throat> Curie fans need to accept that that didn't happen, and <laughs> everybody else needs to accept that Curie was not some massive fluke <laughs> that went undefeated in the state all year, won the city, and won Pontiac, and just stunk. Um, both of those things are wrong and ridiculous. Uh, next, uh, Joe had some other. Joseph had some other questions. I loved this one. My guy here. He says, "I felt like Jaheim Holden looked like a D one guy against Belleville West." Do you and Joe agree? Any idea where he'll end up? Uh, before we answer, I, there was a point. Gosh, what was it? Like the third quarter, we look up and my guy Jaheim Holden is the leading scorer in the state championship game. <laughs> for well, a while. I mean, he had what was a fourteen in the first half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. And I'm going back to the, what I was talking about earlier a little bit, you know, the physical, the physical yeah. attributes. He is small. I mean, he's really small. That's going to scare off Division One schools. You know, there's a lot of guys that can play, look the part and play the part of a Division One type player. Uh, he's a notch below. He's a small, good, very good small college prospect who's still open. And, and um, but yeah, I mean, he, he is wired to score and he's a fun player to watch. He's got a little bit of electric in him and, uh, he was he was terrific in that stretch. Yeah, all he's got to do is show that tape to anybody who's worried about his size. Because my goodness, he got punished. You know, Belleville West is tall and wide, and they—I mean—they literally punished him. At one point, I was early in the game. I didn't think he was going to get up, and he got up. He got fouled really hard on a fast break bucket, and he, I think he hurt his wrist. He was shaking it off a bunch, and he missed that first free throw. Um, and I wonder—you know—the same thing happened to Ryan Bost later, but. I mean, you saw what he can do against some big guys. It was it was pretty impressive. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the kid. I, I think whoever gets him has got a big winner. And I think he, he was really underrated, the success they had the last few years. Yeah, and he can go get a bucket. And I, I you know, we talk a lot about the, the, the that great sophomore class at Evanston and then Lance Jones, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all area type. But those two seniors, Jaheim Holden and uh, Ryan Boss. I mean, they, they were – you talk about unsung guys. I mean, they were just uh, just such huge keys in their success, as you just mentioned, over the last two years. I mean, what they did to Rockford East and Belleville West backcourts <laughs> in those games. Yeah. Wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, uh, Evanston played it. I mean, they, they played their best basketball at the end of the year. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I didn't see the Stevenson game, so maybe that would have – you know, I don't know, but – as far as Peoria, I mean, they looked the part and they played at a high level. They ramped it up, you know, really, really made it difficult for the opponent and with their speed and quickness. Yeah, it sounds like from talking to the Evanston people um, that that high level of play that we saw in that Rockford East game, which is an amazingly high level of play, especially for this season, um, that started in the overtime of the Stevenson game. Mm-hmm. And they kind of carried it over because, you know, they were trailing in that game. They came, But I guess the overtime, you know, they just blitzed them. And if you looked at the score, I guess you could see that. But, yeah, they were saying that. So they'd kind of gotten a little bit of a look of that before they got to Peoria. Um, next question, he says, uh, Joseph says, I noticed that at Northwestern you were sitting pretty far from the court, second level, for the Curie-Simeon game. Then you were courtside in Peoria. How do you decide where to sit? Joe, I, I do not decide. Um, Northwestern told me to go up to the third floor media area and I was 
just fine doing it because I had a table, I had power, and this that's the time of the year when I don't mind sitting by myself, far away from everyone <laughs> who has uh, opinions and things to say. So I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there alone at Welsh Ryan, and Welsh Ryan was it's a just a gorgeous facility. I could not have been more impressed, and sitting up there i might have looked far away but i felt like i was right on top of the action there's not a bad seat in that house if, if anybody's ever going there do not spend a lot of money uh to sit close because there's not a bad seat in that place it's all great um and courtside in peoria that's where the ihsa puts me that's my seat so i'm assigned um quick answer to that question uh during the season i can kind of choose where i want most places don't have media and that'll kind of depend on if my back hurts or if i want to be close uh, next up, Brandon Buckman. I've always dreamed of, of a big-time shootout in Springfield. There used to be a few years back at the Bank of Springfield Center. Holds nearly 8,000. That would feature 10 or so games, Northern Illinois versus South Central Illinois. With the right teams and matchups, this would be a great atmosphere. And since you have been talking about a public league versus Southwestern Conference, my question is, is there any dream matchups you'd like to see between Chicago and downstate teams? Heck, in 2017 and 2018, Lanfear and Southeast had 6,000-plus people at the Springfield City Tournament Championship game. I did not know that. Um, yeah, my uh, column, which I honestly was kind of in a rush. I wasn't sure what I was doing, and kind of just started writing, and, and that came out, um, which is not generally the way I do things, um, has been very well received. People really liked the idea um, overall. As far as in Springfield, yeah, it was the, I don't know if that was the shooter I went to that Brandon's talking about when I saw Richard McBride against and Iguodala against Shannon Brown. Or sorry, yeah, Shannon Brown. Um, back then, the Sun-Times would send you around to the bigger games, so I loved doing that. And I drove down to Springfield to watch that game, which was fantastic. Um, I don't know if it was that shootout or whatever, but have you always dreamed of a big-time shootout in Springfield, Joe? No, not really. Um <laughs> I mean, the shootout is, I don't know, it's lost a lot of its luster. Uh, I, I don't know if it's because of the expansion of so many of them or the, I don't know. I, and you got to have, everything's got to, for the perfect shootout and the big crowds and everything has to be like perfect. Everything has to come together perfectly for the teams and star attraction with the player and the locale and Maybe a built-in fan base at the where the the place is being, where the event's being held, and, and and it's just really hard to to piece that together. Particularly, all these things are usually put together a year in advance to begin with, you know. And I've always dreamt of having a, you know, what the college game did. You know, they don't do it anymore. The bracket buster where you keep a date open and you have a group of teams that know they're going to be playing and you don't know who's going to be playing who and you decide it maybe two weeks in advance. So you're there in the middle, let's say a shootout end of January and, you know, early January, you have a great feel for a team and you, you match them up with what you really want to see at that particular season. Um, I, you know, I, I look down south for next year. We just talked about 4A up in Chicago, which – I don't think we were glowing with our or I, what I'm leading to is like for next year, I'm a little worried, Mike. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I just we've had this down cycle of, of individual talent and the senior class next year is it's rough. And with that being said, try to go and find certain I mean, there's not a Belleville West next year. 
you know, that, that, that you would bring up. There's not, you know, Springfield Southeast is not going to be how good they were. Uh, you know, I, I, there's not the surefire, oh, yeah, we got it. You can't wait to see that team next year. Um, so that, that's that's why I can't piece together a dream shootout. Um, in the past, I could have, you know, when we had those great Peoria teams way back when, and whether it be the manual teams in the 90s or the Sean Livingston teams and, you know, middle 2004 or five. You know, I, I just don't. I mean, I wouldn't know who to piece together next year. I mean, what even Chicago area teams? What huge draws are there? Joe, you sound like a man burned by doing his own shootout. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm all for it, Brandon. Let's do it, Springfield. Let's fill that who, thing up. But who would you bring together? I mean, I I guess that's why I'm like, who would you bring together? And be like that would draw the masses to Springfield. We'll see. We can't, we can't um, get them to Peoria. I think I've always been impressed by. You know, a lot of times we don't hear anything about them in the preseason. And then I we get to Peoria and I'll see an Edwardsville or an O'Fallon team that's really, really good. You know, and I would like to see this. I don't need there to be a lot of preseason hype necessarily behind it. I'd be okay with, we'll see how it fleshes yeah, I'm out. I'm not going to pretend to be a Southern Illinois high school basketball expert, but just looking at the top teams perennially, you know, perennial top teams, I... I I have to do a little more homework, I guess, but I just don't know who those would be next year. Yeah, I mean, I know I loved watching that Champagne Center, and it's not downstate. Well, it's not Southern Illinois, but that Khalil Terry kid's a monster um, on the high school court. I'd like to see more of him. Um, you know, Danville's got a player, um, but yeah, we'd see. Yeah, I just think it would be cool to have more of it. Um, spring- but I guess I'm talking about drawing crowds and big. I mean, I'm fine to have matchups. So I just don't think anybody's going to go. That's my point. That's what I was trying to get to. But yeah. we'll see. Um, it would have to happen. We we just don't have enough of it. We do. We have everybody traveling all over the country. I mean, Pontiac is terrific. You know, and it's a dead time Christmas break. Uh, it's it's got a history, a tradition. Everybody knows about it. I mean, they get good crowds, Mike, but it's not like they're filling the place. No. So how do you get better than that? Well, I mean, I, I think we, we could do well up here. Um, people would have come out to see Belleville. Well, we saw how people came out to see Bloomington. Was that last year? At- yeah, no, Belleville West, you know, and, and my, my story is with that is I, mean, I had a shootout every year in Belleville West and Joe Munoz wanted to come bad. They were all excited. And then we got around to the date and the date just did not work. And they were ready to come. They, he wanted to come up and was ready to showcase EJ, the Chicago area. And it was done. And then we just, we couldn't make it work as the date. So, and then obviously had normal West coming up here with Francis Okoro and Francis Okoro bolted early. So, Nobody got to see him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I made a conscious effort actually to bring those teams up uh, for the shootout at the one sides collide, and it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, and it's a, it's a, it, it is a, a true tragedy in high school basketball, you know, history around here that EJ Liddell and Terrence Hargrove 
did not play as seniors in Chicago. That is the kind oh, of thing. Oh, that's my take. Oh, yeah. oh. save my take. Save my take. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. Take my take. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> so, I mean, so there needs to be some more of this. And I don't care that next year might be a down year. That doesn't stop me from wanting um, to get it done. Uh, next up, Doug Hammer, the uh, Joe's self-proclaimed uh, fan, of the year. fan of the year, has a question for Joe. Re Joe's refusal to watch 1A and 2A hoops. Ask Joe if he remembers being at the RB Spring. Oh, geez. Sorry, Doug's talking about. Is he talking about spring basketball? Oh, I don't know. I didn't get to the question. Yeah, guys. yeah. He's Doug keeps bringing this up. Doug, you just won the state title. Do not be talking about summer basketball. Nobody cares, man. He, um, watching the Providence St. Mal turning a turning away. From, I don't know. We're going to go on from that. I get that 1A ball may not be the overall level of the bigger classes, but really you're not going to watch when Oren, St. Mel, and Leo are playing for state titles? Say it ain't so, Joe. Yeah, no, I'll watch, but I see him up here play. <laughs> I, I, I just – my point of the 1A, 2A is it's so predictable. I, I just – there was no doubt in my mind that, I mean, how many is over one in a row? Three. I mean, it's just I lose interest because of the fact I know Orr is going to win. Do you know what I mean? I, they're not challenged. They're not, man, I, I just, it, I, I lose interest in it. Orr is just kind of so much better than everybody. I mean, I, I just don't get into it. I'm not going to look forward to the one. I watch it. I watch the small school state championship game. Yes, I'll watch them. I just, but you can't say that through the whole process of getting to Peoria that my juices are flowing over 1A and 2A matchups. It's just, I'm happy for the schools. I'm excited for their communities. It's fantastic for them. From just my pure enjoyment of basketball, it just isn't there. Um, I'm not, I, I just, there's other options of basketball to watch. And so I choose to do that. And I watched, or I watched St. Mel during the regular season. It was great. And then they went into their March and I knew pretty much what they were going to do. I think we all predicted they'd win. They did win. They lived up to it. Great. And I just didn't necessarily enjoy watching those games. I would rather watch, you know, or play young you know, in, in January in a tiny gym than watching or kind of playing Peoria. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, once Orr turned the corner there in early to mid-January, I mean, you, I started wondering if they could maybe go on a run and win the city. I mean, 2A was not even going to be a uh, a challenge. Um, next up, Keen Harvey, who I believe is a first timer. Um, oh, it's a, what will it take to have the CPS top schools for the Southwestern conference meet in a shootout or some type of event? I'm telling you, Joe, people loved Dang. his idea. They loved it. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Um, Somebody put together. What would it take? I'll, I'll go to it. Yeah. Well, Tyrone Slaughter <laughs> issued the challenge. Um, as I was packing up to leave, uh, I was finished. I thought I was all done. And then Tyrone Slaughter said he's willing that he will bring the top four CPS schools down to the St. Louis metro area in year one. Um, so I well, guess we need a host. Oh, we had a host in Lincoln. Um, the, a Lincoln college coach offered to host it. Okay, so there, now you're, you're, you're on to something. You're, you, you go to Lincoln, 
which is a unbelievable basketball community that draws fans that would salivate over the fact of Young or Simeon coming down there or and meeting a Collinsville. Collinsville's got a really nice player. They'll be pretty good next year. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I meant, too, about having um, – you know, like when Jim Roberts had, you know um, – What's the name? Batavia's event. Um, the Night of Hoops. Night of Hoops. And he had Simeon coming out there for years. And, you know, and St. Joe's had it going. And they they came out, and those 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 fans were into it. Batavia had a nice run there, some really good teams, some outstanding crowds. But it was more or less the, the Aurora area high school basketball fan coming to see the Chicago teams. But what put it over the top is that fan base that Batavia had, and you know some really good crowds. But those are hard, hard to come by these days. Lincoln, though, is is one of them. I can't find this um, tweet now. It was because he said, you know, it's like a college facility to come host it at. Um, yeah, I don't want that. I want it at Lincoln's gym, high school gym. Yeah, that would be Sorry. fun. Yeah. Sorry, Lincoln Junior College. I, I want it at the real high school gym. But, um, yeah, I would, I don't know the, anyway, I don't want to mess with your take, so I'm not going to talk any more about it. We got more questions. David Keown, um, another first timer, um, says, uh, two questions. This is all I'm going to try to get to the question here. Um, I just finished following Evanston through the playoffs. What an intense and exciting series of games. Each game was electric. I watched the semis on TV, then went to Peoria for the finals. My first time there. While the joint was jumping, at one point, I took my focus off the court and looked at the stands across the way. Everyone in the middle was just sitting there, watching, while all the team sections were jumping and hollering. Same was true when I looked at the middle seats on my side of the court. If the games are for the players and the fans, they should make those seats available to the public, the way they do in every other level of the brackets. It would improve the atmosphere and reward those closest to the teams. Why don't they? Season tickets. They've, Season tickets, sponsorship people, yeah. um, VIPs, all that. Uh, David, they did. Um, My understanding is wide open seating, other than those sections, yes. right? And yeah. but they do no. They I, I think they do mandate now. They give areas to the students, and this is an improvement. Just two or three years ago, the kids used to be way up top. It was horrible. Now yeah. they have moved the kids down behind each basket, and I think those are reserved for them. Um, that's the only other area that's reserved. And so, I mean, I agree with you, David, but if you can believe it, it's actually way better than it was just two or three years ago. Cause all of the noise would be coming from way up top. Like the place would be almost empty and, but the kids would be <laughs> up in the rafters. <laughs> it made no sense. Um, so it has improved, um, in that. And I think, yeah, you're right. Ideally it would be, you know, like you're describing, but they rely on that money and th- those guys are playing a paying a premium to have those season tickets so that's the situation um second question here from david this is my second year at the sears center the fan experience during the game was is horrible for example they don't show the players fouls points the way every high school gym i've been in in illinois does do the windy city bulls really not have that info available for their fans during the games there and the announcer doesn't provide much to offset this either. Sometimes he'll say who a foul was on, but he never says how many they have. And at State, they read off the stats at halftime over the PA. That would be easy, but they don't do this either. How does this come to be? It's basic, and yet there it is. What's this question asker name? David Keown. Yeah, David and I are on the same. We're, I see. I'm glad he gave me my Sears Center update. I haven't been there in a couple, few years, two years, three years, and 
sounds like it's still the same that I didn't like. Well, all of this, well, to answer the questions directly, most high school gyms don't list players, fouls, and points. Um, especially, pl- some do. Wait, Wait what? Players, well, five. Well, yeah, list most high schools don't have that list of the five starters and their points and fouls up there. On the scoreboard? Yeah. Well, in the city, no, but... No, all over the suburbs. They don't have fouls listed in the suburbs? They don't have anything but the score. It, it'll list like... On the scoreboard? Yeah, he's, he's not talking about just, oh, 24 got his first foul. He's talking about a constant list of the five players on the court along with their points and fouls. A lot of what do you mean? A lot of suburbs have a lot do, but most do not. Um, they have it at Lions. You know, it's at Evanston. Um, I mean, I keep I. This is what I do. That would be a huge help. You will get it in the western suburbs more often than anywhere else. But I mean, you're not going to see that at most places. Um, the scoreboards aren't big enough. They're just you know older things. It's the way they have it at East Aurora. You know, but I would say it's at maybe 20, 30% tops. So, I'd say 50. Oh, God, no. In the suburbs, I'd say 50. Who is there anyone in the south suburbs because, who has it? Because the, the, the reason why I know so well is because I don't keep stats like you do, and I'm able to rattle off how many points guys have during the game. Who's based got on the it school. in the south suburbs? I mean, Marion. I'm just saying north suburbs and northwest suburbs and and western suburbs for sure. A lot of the western suburbs definitely have it, but the south suburbs. I bet all the mid suburban leagues do now. Northwest suburbs and and in the in the north suburban conference, yeah, a lot of them, a ton of them. The rich schools have it, but there's more poor schools. I don't think you're anywhere near your fifty percent. Even I'm in the suburbs, 50% yeah. outside of the city. I'm I'm going with. Wow! All right, next challenge accepted. I will um, be totally it up next year. You know, Jack Leeson would probably have a pretty good uh, idea of that because he does it too. But um, yeah, no, I do not see it um, very often. So I'm just saying you can't really. That is not a regular high school. Um, no, I agree with his uh, fan. Uh, I mean, the atmosphere. I'd still just. Get me out of there. I, yeah. I can't stand and it. And the I, other thing he said is about the the announcer didn't announce how many fouls the players had. We covered that in an earlier podcast. That's actually against IHSA rules now. Um, we still have some people doing it, but they're not supposed to say how many fouls the players picked up uh, because they were screwing it up too often and causing confusion. Um, so they shouldn't do that. As far as reading the stats off at halftime over the PA – um, most of them don't have all those stats that they're reading off. I would imagine the Sears Center would have. When I've been there, they have provided stats for the Super. Um, so I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, but, like, they're not going to do that at the Super at, um, I don't know, Joliet Central, for example, because um, they probably don't have them. There's uh, still a curtain. Yeah. yeah. Joe doesn't like it. It sounds like there was a good crowd, though. Yeah, it would. Sure there was. Up there. All right, next up, David Alexander, um, another rookie. He says, um, talking about the title game, I have three questions. The seniors on Evanston, Jones, Holden, and Bost are really special players on the team. They had really special chemistry. Holden and Bost are both fantastic defenders. See Stevenson and East Rock and Rockford East games as case in point. Great playmakers and both have a lot of leadership and tangibles. Where do you see their college basketball prospects? Couldn't Holden be a lower-tier D1 player? 
Joe, the people clearly want a shootout between the Southwestern Conference and CPS, and they want to see Jaheim Holden get his shot in D1. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, uh, we covered that, so we'll move on next one. He says, uh, I think this was Evanston's best chance since No Gel Eastern senior year to win it all. As good as – I would – Disagree. I would say last year was better than Nojel Eastern senior year. But anyway, as good as the Evanston sophomores are today, it will be tough to do the same. Louis Lesmond is the wild card. He showed great promise at the end of the season and has a great upside. If he develops, they may be back. What do you and Joe think? Yeah, we just you just said it. I mean, no doubt, and especially if their road stays like this. If it's Stevenson instead of the CPS team, right. That's true. I That's mean, key. All, I mean, Stevenson's going to be great, but yeah, I mean, I think they would take their shot at Stevenson over, um, you know, another city power. But what what were you saying? Last year was a better shot. What what what, what were you saying about Evanston? I thought they had a better shot to win the state title last year since they were at state. Yeah, they had a better shot. But I keep going back to that year that was debated over Evanston and Nogel Eastern. People forget. I mean, they lost to the state champion. Yes. A very good state champion, that Whitney Young team, in the super sectional. So, I mean, it's not – I mean, that team did not – it's not as if it's underachieved. That, they, they played a killer regular season schedule that year. Killer. And going down there, they played that in Kentucky. It was a beast of a tournament and so forth. So, I mean, it, they just had a phenomenal three-year run. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. Uh, three straight sectional titles, uh, state runner-up finish, a third-place finish, and then, you know, the super sectional loss was to the eventual state champion, Young, in the in the super. And that run, the No Gel Eastern team, that created these next two teams because those seniors now were sophomores on that group, you know, and got so much experience in big games, you know, that they were ready last year to accomplish so much, and then so seasoned, you know, this season. Um, so it definitely played a huge part in all of that. Um, all right, next. Uh, oh, <laughs> briefly, he mentions the Hackle Liddell defensive strategy in the second half for Evanston, which um, I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but paid off a little bit. Let's see. Uh, Terry O'Rourke is up next. We've got another newcomer. The St. Tournament just brings them all out, Joe. Uh, Terry says, we just watched an all-Centralia 4A championship game. Not to mention Bogan, who has been at Centralia recently. Centralia has the best atmosphere of any tournament in Illinois, including Pontiac. Next year, will you respect the talent at Centralia, not quite equal to Pontiac, and give it more time in the Holiday Tournament podcast? I have, I believe I have always praised Centralia. I haven't been there in several years. Oh, no, it's probably been 10. But, I, I mean... I've written about Centralia. I've previewed Centralia. It relates mostly to the Chicago area teams. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, Mike and I probably aren't going to spend a great deal on Centralia, even on the podcast, because, A, it's hard to make the – I can't feasibly go down there and watch Centralia when I've got 40 other teams I can see um, within a close proximity. And – eat up an entire day driving there and B there's just not loaded with Illinois or Chicago area teams, let alone, I mean, I, I mean, 
Do you know what I mean? I mean, well, yeah. No, the answer to this is 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, sorry, I think, there aren't enough teams there, Terry, that we cover well, and, to talk. And there's there's at least four or five out of state teams. Yeah, <laughs> in Centralia, which if anyone listens to the podcast or Joe and Mike don't care about out of state really much at all. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, the, I just the pulled line it up. That bugs Arlington, me. Arlington, Tennessee, uh, Centennial, Tennessee. Lausanne from somewhere, I don't know, Confluence, Germantown. So, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. out of We're not going to be talking about it. It's a chalk. I mean, sorry, Terry, but you should be thankful we talk about it as much as we do, considering there are tournaments here in Chicago we don't mention. You know, we didn't talk Prosser at all. <laughs> they don't feel or Glenbard West yeah. or East Aurora or, I mean, you could name them. Yeah, and the, and the line that bugs me, because I heard this so much this weekend, is next year will you respect the talent at Centralia? I don't cover those teams. I don't cover Belleville West during the regular season. It is not a lack of respect that I don't write about them or talk about them. That's not my job. I have 400 high school teams here to deal with, some of them that are really good that I didn't even see this year. You know, it, it's not. It seems to be a lot of confusion about that. That I'm out there disrespecting Southern Illinois basketball because we don't write about them and talk about them a lot. I mean, that that's just. It's not my job. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and it's not like it's a uh, around the corner. I, I, I get if somebody was griping and complaining about us or whoever. You're not respecting the South suburbs or the Northwest suburbs. Well, you want to argue it or not? That's fine. Because we can get there. I mean, you, for us, for anybody to make the trek, I mean, it's a four or five hour drive. You're not going to be spending a lot of time down there. And, you know, I, I trust some of the people I talk to to get information from about those teams. I I see their individual players during the AAU season, so you kind of piece that together. I will get a, a, a game tape to watch here and there. I do that every year. Uh, where I'll get some sent to me and I'll watch. But other than that, I mean, it's really hard. And I'll do a best of the outside the Chicago area story at least once a year. So, I mean, it's not like it's completely ignored. And if anybody has ever read any of my stuff over two years and hasn't doesn't agree that I've praised Belleville West, particularly EJ Liddell, I just retweeted something a year ago that I wrote on EJ Liddell, how he's vastly overlooked and underrated and not appreciated enough. And so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, for as not being in the area and not being around Southern Illinois, I mean, it's ridiculous, Joe. You don't even have to, you shouldn't even have to, this is how many stories did a St. Louis area paper write about Dejuan Gordon, you know, or any Chicago kid? I mean, it doesn't, it's just ridiculous. I didn't see Juliet Central play this season. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't see Thornton, who was had a particular really nice year, had a nice playoff run. You know, I didn't get to see Oak Forest, 20 plus wins and a really exciting freshman I wanted to see. I mean, we got our hands full with these 400 teams trying to do the best job, you know, for people in our coverage area. It's, it's just not going to happen. And it's not a lack of respect. It's just, you're going to need more out of your uh, 618 people. Well, and I don't think we've we've ever discussed or said the words like Southern Illinois basketball is poor or they can't play there or no, it's this weird inferiority I, I, complex that they think, and it's because we don't talk about them, and I think they don't realize that it's because it's that's not what we're covering. 
it's just so far. I mean, it's like a different. It's just so different, you know, as, as the distance. All right. Next up, um, Dustin Vick. He says, "Does Adam Miller play for Morgan Park next year?" I haven't heard anything different. So I mean, I know there's always rumors and stuff about it, but I haven't heard anything different. I have not um, either. And uh, then his second question is, who does the Illini have the best chance with in 2020? 2020 is your favorite class in Illinois history, Joe. So, uh, Yeah, and fortunately they're after the two ones that are bona fide legitimate high majors. Uh, DJ Stewart and Adam Miller, I think they're really, really trying to package this as a package deal. And, you know, this is uh, a tandem that will be re- – DJ Stewart's uh, interest is picking up by the month, and the interest is increasing. Adam Miller is already there; he's a top twenty-five kid. I think DJ Stewart's a little underrated, undervalued nationally. Not so much anymore about from college coaches to high majors. That's coming, but Illinois will be losing most likely Ayodele after his sophomore year, and you know, I mean, if that's the, the forecast, you know, Andres Feliz, their guard will be gone. Um, you know, they'll have a couple of spots there or minutes that are more than hoping for guys like Adam Miller and DJ Stewart. And if they can package those two together somehow, I mean, that's, that's a tall task in recruiting, but, um, you know, I, I think they have a legit shot at Adam Miller. Uh, I think they're doing a good job with DJ Stewart. Uh, but that's a long way away between now and next November. Should be interesting, yeah. Heck of a DJ Stewart deserves all of that. I was very, very impressed with him this season. Um, he was excellent, and if he improves, if he takes that another step like that um, next year, oh boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a closer. I mean, I, I mean, I still have Adam Miller number one, but I think the Adam Miller DJ Stewart argument is much closer than in my mind than most people have it. I, I love DJ Stewart. I think he's he's I, I just love his game you know he's got a slippery game with a ball in his hand he's got a soft touch um, plays the game at a, at a perfect ideal pace so yeah I mean I, I those are clearly the top two players in Illinois all right well, I'm, I'm sorry in the class um, that is uh the end of the mailbag takes I'm gonna start out the takes this time right. um couple things I think are coming, everybody. Prepare yourselves. Um, first off, I sense that there is a appetite to move the state tournament to Champaign. Clearly, it's not a done deal. Bids need to come in. There's a lot to go. But I, it's to me, it sounds like that's more likely than not. Um, and much more so than I thought a year ago. Um, so don't. it sounds like Illinois and Josh Whitman really want it. And that means a lot, uh, yeah. I, I think, in getting it. So look out for that. Number two, don't be surprised if the – I think everybody won't be surprised. There's been a just a wonderful response. Everybody seems really in favor of the one-weekend, three-day um, idea, except for Joe Henriksen. And I think that might happen, and it might be a two-year trial period. So – if only we'd have done a trial period for four-class basketball. Well, Mike reassured me before the podcast so that they would never swap 1A and 2A for 3A and 4A on the Thursday, Friday. So as long as Mike is, is 
accurate with that, that the IHSA will never flip-flop and have one year, 1A, 2A on Friday, and the 3A, 4A on Thursday, I'm fine with it. I'll, I'll ride along for the ride. Yeah, I don't, I don't, they don't. They haven't flip-flopped anything else before, so I, I feel like that's not... like. And the, the last thing, I saved the... I don't know. We won't call it the best, but maybe the biggest bomb dropper, the thing everybody's talking about. Um, it sounds like there's going to be a, you know, the IHSA has their procedures for going through things. Somebody proposes it, there's board voting, and then it has to be ratified by all the members or whatever. But just don't be surprised if there's going to be some movement towards multiplying the CPS. Um, and the CPS is going to flip out about that. There has been changes, though, in the way, you know, kids now pick, it's much, it's basically standard procedure that kids in the city can choose any school they want first time, um, or at least try to get into any school they want when they first apply, you know, as eighth graders. So that's going to be kind of a legit basis for multiplying them. And that's going to move up. It's going to change everything quite a bit. Um with the, where the CPS schools fall in classes. Also, there's just a lot of class changes in general because the IHSA is, it's like a the two year thing and they're, mo- they're changing the size of the classes, blah, blah, blah. looks like three, a is going to get some much. Yeah. Going to be stronger. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Three, a like Deerfield's definitely in three, a next year. And some of the pretty, you know, some of the decent programs in the Fox Valley are going to be in it. Like the crystal lakes and a uh, Prairie Ridge, well, so, Niles, Notre Dame, and Bennett both have an opportunity to go 3A. So, and those are all where we need them to be. So maybe they can be in a sectional. So there's no longer, you know, St. Pat's and Mundelein, Carmel <laughs> in the same section. They're all kind of in between those two. So that would really help kind of the look and feel to me of the 3A bracket if we didn't have some goofy looking sectionals. So that seems good. So that's my uh, Peoria hmm. tidbits. Wonder. I never hear in Peoria or, or, or this whole run of as did you hear any transfer talk of like we didn't complaints of East St. Louis having two transfers and they're starting five? Didn't Belleville West as well? Uh, last year. Um, I don't know about this year. Yeah, Malachi, yeah, Smith, they, Malachi Smith was their best player or second best player last year. I believe they have did two this year too. The big <laughs> Duncan kid. East St. Louis you know, two kids from Cahokia. So anyway, it just doesn't No, and everybody just talks about the public league transfers. Right. Um, so my my take is what we started talking a little bit a bit ago, not so much about the disrespect and lack of uh, conversation about the Southern Illinois teams, but it's more of the, the lost opportunity. And that is EJ Liddell and to a degree Terrence Hargrove. You know, I, I, I do – I will say it's not a lack of respect. I don't think anybody disrespects EJ Liddell and his talents and what he's accomplished. It's more about it, it's not talked about as much. It's not front and center as it would be if EJ Liddell played in the Chicago area. And it's not taking anything away from what happens in Southern Illinois and, and St. Louis area. It's a, Right now, St. Louis is cooking with, with basketball. But when you talk about the St. Louis area being really great, I mean, you're talking about two different states, so it's a little bit different. Whereas up in Chicago, it's all Chicago area teams. It's all Illinois. I mean, if EJ Lid- – I'd like to see if EJ Liddell were, had to have played up in the Chicago area. And it's not like he's getting shortchanged on awards or anything. I, I, 
none of that or recruiting attention. I'm just talking about the overall perception of him as a player, what he's accomplished. And, and I try to do that because I think in, in some of the things I've written, because what he's accomplished both statistically over 2,500 points, his block totals is over 500 blocks. I think just, I, just ridiculous numbers. And then two state championships and, and player of the year awards and those types of things. And uh, top 50 recruit but it's it, it's it took me back to way back when where before even I'm talking way back like Lafonso Ellis and I, I East St. Louis Lincoln when everybody was geared up to go to Champagne for the Elite Eight and you'd finally get to see players of that ilk for the first time in Peoria and you know whether it be East St. Louis Lincoln's Lafonso Ellis or um, Conzo Martin or the Springfield Landfear teams with Ed Horton, you just you'd read about them, you hear about them, and no one ever saw them. And that's kind of the case with EJ Liddell. EJ Liddell is probably, I mean, a lot of the great ones have all played in Chicago. I mean, Sean Livingston, you know, came to the Chicago area at least a couple times. Um, we, we we missed out on one of the truly great players across the board. And EJ Liddell's, you know, everybody you talk to. The character, he, he, I learned a lot about it during his recruiting, the recruitment of E.J. Liddell and talking to the college coaches and how many of them said, Joe, it's like a joy to recruit. It's still going to be hard. It's going to be tough. And it's going to be a grind to recruit because he's so coveted. But it is such a joy to recruit E.J. Liddell and his family. And so the character, the way he carries himself, uh, he's just a sharp kid who just gets it. He, he checks off all the boxes of being one of the all-time great players. And I, I'm not sure we as – so I guess, as I mean, going down that road of saying it's not a disrespect. It's just a lack of attention overall. And to a degree, Terrence Hargrove, nobody in Chicago appreciated him because they hadn't seen him. And even people like myself who saw something in him – in the in the AU world, he he was really shortchanged on his Bradley Beal AAU team, the same team that that EJ Liddell played with. He didn't play much. I mean, that's, you know, they 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 played a lot of their Missouri guys, and and CJ Hargrove was kind of a, a lost piece and didn't get to showcase a lot of what we saw this past weekend at Peoria. So another player who. It was I, I'm so glad and fortunate that he was able to get to Peoria and, and kind of just put himself on this big stage and perform at the level that, you know, he's ranked high in my rankings, been top five for well over a year in, in that class, and but it's, but it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And it was just really good to see the Southern Illinois teams able to showcase all they have in, in Peoria this past weekend. Sure was, yeah. Great take. You know, I, I've only spoken to EJ Liddell a couple times, sat down with him really briefly at the shoot-around on Thursday, and wow, yeah, you know, really impressive kid, um, 100%. He was, uh, you know, it, it's kind of shocking sometimes when you sit down and have a kid be, you know, just that bright and engaging and fun to talk to. Um, so yeah, that, that was, it was excellent. Um, and an unbelievable team player, man. I mean, the, the, the passing, the assist, I mean, you talk about a guy who's, you know, I talk about his numbers being sensational. They are, but they're more sensational, Mike, across the board 
when you talk blocks, rebounds, assists, this is your kind of guy, six seven guy that's doing all that. And you know, his he's not a 29, 27, 30 point. He's not a Brunson type score or those. Play. You know, what I mean, he's a modest 20, 21 a game. And but it's, I mean, he could easily scored more. You know, the, the assists were really impressive this weekend. Yeah. That's something yeah. I, you know, I didn't see as much in the last state tournament. And to me, that's more encouraging as like a skill for him going forward than the shot blocking, which, which might be tougher at the next level. Um, I, I agree with shot blocking is tougher, but he has an uncanny ability uh, with his length. Because usually you think of shot blockers in college, 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", and I get it. But there are these rare guys that have this unique timing and instincts defensively. Where I think, you know, he's not going to block five a game in college, but you know, he's going to be a, a guy who does alter shots at the college level, just not at the degree that we, we saw this past weekend or through his career. Yeah, high school. yeah those assists were it, it was big in the game. It, it changed the game. His ability, um, his passing ability, both in both of the games. I thought it, it was it was a major factor. Um, well, it's just not very many six seven guys who are able to make teammates better. Yeah. I mean. I, and usually you talk about that with the point guard or guard, you know, we talk about Jack McDonald making everybody in that Geneva team better. But here's a six seven guy, you know, that that's doing that. That's yeah, I, I can't say enough about EJ Liddell and how special of a player he is. Um Terrence Hargrove, we haven't talked about this, uh, even off the podcast. Holy wow. He is the most exciting player I saw this year. Time nobody is even in his wheelhouse. I think he. I, I did tell you last week you're gonna like him. Uh, like him isn't even the word. <laughs> uh, I guess I saw him sophomore year and I don't remember. He was at the Elite Classic. Um, Scott Burgess, our buddy, <laughs> pointed that out. Um, but I think he's the top prospect in the class. He, if there was a uh, Michael Bryan prospect rankings, he would be number <laughs> one. Love, number love, one love, with a bullet. Yes, he is my guy. I mean, also. Um, an amazing quote. <laughs> He's ready to, um, he has plenty of confidence in his ability. Um, but yeah, he just, wow. He made me see Jesus out there a few times. Well, a huge thing with him is confidence level. Yeah. You know, I talked about the AAU world. I don't think that helped him. The limited minutes. I mean, it wasn't like he was this massively highly coveted recruit. Which is you know ridiculous I mean? based on what well, I just saw over two days. No, I, I, I agree. And he, and he did grow. He kept growing. Okay, which yeah. Helped. Um, I agree with you. I mean, right now, if Terrence Hargrove's a, a unsigned senior, uncommitted senior, he's, he's a no-brainer high major. You know, when my final stuff comes out, I, mean, I, th- I think he's three or four in my rankings. He'll probably push the number two. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think that you're right. I, I just wouldn't put him above EJ, but but you're right. I mean, he is a, an exciting talent and a bona fide high major prospect that staying home and playing for St. Louis. Yeah, he was fun. Really, really made the state tournament for me. I could have watched that kid all year. I could have watched 35 games of that. It was it was absolutely um, super fun. And I'll I did a quick bit of research. Um, three of Belleville West starters were transfers this season. Um, they all came from Christian Brothers, the St. Louis school. Lawrence Brazil, Keith Randolph, and Will Shumpert. Hmm. So pretty safe to say that was <laughs> rather influential. And yeah, you know, early on in their careers on because yeah. I mean they obviously have played for in the last 
Yeah. They must have done that really early then. And you, know, I, you, you I, mentioned yeah. the Macaulay Smith kid as well. So uh, Malachi Smith, Malachi and he Smith, was yeah. big time. He was Division One. He's he's one of the top players as a freshman in the Horizon League for freshmen uh, at Wright State. So that that's a big time addition. And I think I think that's more transfers than no, oh, we won't get into it. But yeah, and you know how much complaining I heard about that? Not much. Nope. Not well, I mean, I, I, I go back to Belleville Altoff, and they had transfers. I mean, uh, with those great teams, you know. Um, Sean Livingston was a transfer to Peoria Central. Yeah, no, I, it, it's it's endless, to be honest. I mean, it's I, a 4A issue, and the fact, if you look at going through 4A, the winners, and you look at the transfers, it, it they've all had them. It's not just Chicago teams. You know, Evanston would have been a real rarity. If they had pulled that off, they'd had one transfer from France. <laughs> you know, that's a... an import. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty strange. Um, oh, I guess it's my that wasn't actually my take, was it? Um, and now I have to give my take. What was my uh, second take? Uh... <laughs> I can do my second. Oh, no, it was Rockford uh... East. I just wanted to talk about Rockford East because, man, you know, they lost two games and went home. I thought that was a, a really, I mean, this isn't shocking, but I just want to say this because it was the first time I got to see them. That's a, man, that was a good team. And, you know, some guy, people I respect that watch a lot of basketball out that way, you know, had tweeted and talked about how that they really thought that team had grown into a, a bunch that could have won 4A this year. And it might sound nuts since they lost two games and, you know, but I, I can totally see an alternate reality in which things work out different for them. And they do somehow win that title. That's a that was a fun team to watch. Really talented and amazing with the way Evanston played. That they were even able to keep it that close. I think they kind of showed it. And for a brief bit there, what was it? Early in the fourth quarter, it looked like they might have been mounting a comeback. They cut it to like six or eight, um, and we're back in the game. And that and still that that Evanston performance is the best I saw all season. Um, they were just phenomenal in that game. And Belleville West or sorry Rockford East was able to just keep it you know keep around and I just wanted to give that team some credit they lived up to kind of the expectations I had for them even though they lost both games and that was a really really talented team yeah I I mean I was fortunate to see them three times prior to Peoria and they were three and oh and beat three you know really good teams um in, in that stretch so yeah I like that team they're they're fun to watch I didn't think they tried to take away things from Evanston that that maybe they could have or try to. Um, so my second take is that all year long we've talked, Mike, about the, I don't know the parity, the the balance, the who's really really good this year type thing, and then you really look back on it all and what happened in March. And really all the teams that you thought were going to win pretty much won, you know, particularly in 4A. You know, I, you know, I did pick the four teams to make Peoria and, and, and the outcomes in Peoria in the beginning. Not like I went out on my – wasn't a stretch to pick Belleville West and Curie and Evanston and um, Rockford East. But you look – I mean – Nobody's surprised at those four teams. We talked about last week that was good for high school basketball. We got the four we wanted. But then I started doing a March recap uh, review of, of what's transpired over the last three weeks and doing certain categories like Cinderella and Biggest Surprise. And there weren't very many. I, I, I mean, I was going through them, and 
it's unbelievable. I mean, and I don't consider five seeds playing in the sectionals. As a, a, I mean, four or five regional championship games should be toss-ups. And if they go the way of the five seed, it's not a shocker. But if you look at all the brackets, all the seeds, all, it was hard to find true legitimate upsets and just by seeds. So this whole thing where everything was even and balanced and up in the air and anything could happen just didn't materialize. I mean, the seven seeds that I found were Lake Park and Loyola. And Loyola was a seven seed basically because they lost their best player, Connor Barrett, for weeks in lost games and got the seven seed. Lake Park, I think just everybody underestimated. They upset Bennett. Uh, you know, Donald's Grove North and St. Charles North were six seeds. Uh, I mean, they're just what the biggest upset in the state was peaking over normal. And that was really the only I couldn't find one absolutely stunning, shocking upset through the entire tournament trail as I went back and looked at all the brackets. And in a year like this, I would have expected I mean, and there's a couple of sectionals where I firmly believe that it would happen that the one that the Lake Park one was in where you know, there was like eight, nine, ten seeds that were fighting for, you know, I mentioned like a Neighborville North as a, I think they were 11th or 12th or something. Some team that kind of just sneak up on people in a very winnable sectional. And, and the, the one that um, um, Stevenson was into, I mean, I, anyway, I, I was just blown away by the fact that there was nothing in a year like the, how we've talked all year. You would have expected a little bit more juice and craziness in, in, in March and it didn't, didn't happen. Sure. Didn't. Yeah. I was looking doing the rankings, final rankings yesterday. You know, I like to base that pretty heavily on how teams rolled through the playoffs. And the only team you mentioned Loyola, you know, they played in a sectional final and, you know, they hadn't been in the rankings in quite a while. Um, and you play in a sectional final around in this area here, I'm going to get you in the final rankings. So they, you know, got in there at 25 and, if you really even extrapolate what you said to the whole season, I don't, I'm going to guess maybe that it's been a really long time since like my final top 10, all but two of the teams were in the preseason top 10. You know, there wasn't even, you know, Stevenson got in at number 10. Um, didn't see that coming, but even, or isn't a huge surprise if we knew they had all the transfers, you know, playing. Yeah. The only thing I'll say to that is our conversations at the very beginning of the year when we were talking about rankings oh, and, yeah, yeah. and saying, well, I got a solid top 10. And then, all right, and after that, or a solid top eight or whatever it was. And then, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't know what to do. After that, so that did, yeah, so that's how it turned out pretty much, huh? Right, yeah. I think York and Stevenson were my two I didn't expect Geneva to have the record it's did, but I, I thought Geneva would be, they could have been ranked low. Um, they were right outside in the top 30 for me. I did not see York and Stevenson coming, um, you know, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't see Stevenson. I really liked the York team when I saw them in the summer, but again, they, they definitely did, did more than I, I imagined. But then I, I, I got something coming out tomorrow um, here, and, and I looked at the, the, the sectional finals, right, in, in – um, when the season began, what what teams in the sectional finals and the super sectionals, if you if you could look forward, would you have been shocked that they were playing? And 
really the only one I came up with, especially the super sexuals. Let me rattle the super sexuals. Curie, not shocking. Simeon, no, you would have been shocked. Belleville West, Bolingbrook, Geneva, you know, Rockford East, you wouldn't know anything about. But Evanston, no. But the one that, and the super sectional, Stevenson. I mean, that's the yeah. only one, if you go back to November and you showed us these these eight teams in 4A, which one shocks you the most or surprised you the most? Without question, it's Stevenson. And um, all the other ones, yeah, I mean, they're, they're I mean, Evanston was, you know, highly ranked. Geneva, Geneva, I can't remember. Was Geneva in top 25? No, but they were like my 20. They were on my right. little right. group right after. We talked about them even on the preseason podcast. Right. You know. Yeah, but then Bolingbrook was, Simeon, Curie, yeah. Belleville West was Belleville West, and Evanston. So, yeah, that, that's the one uh, that I was able to kind of pinpoint as, you know, the, our, our one surprise of the year. Yeah, I think some other kind of hit him. St. Lawrence, you know, I was always a big Jeremiah Williams fan. I thought they'd be good, but I, I'm not going to say I, I did not think they'd work their way in. They, they finished 18th in my rankings, 27 and 6. So they outperformed what right. I thought. Fremd, you know, we should never, we should just always assume <laughs> that they're the class of the mid MSL until uh, something else changes. Uh, Lincoln Park definitely played, especially if you'd have told us Ramel Howard barely would play. Um, yeah, th- they were a big surprise this year to finish in the rankings. I think Joe was more clued in on RB than I was early. You know, they had a lot coming back, and so they were the other not ranked team to get in here. But overall, I think even I had less less NRs <laughs> in the final rankings than most years. Looks like there's only like five or six teams in here. Mm-hmm. Well, any other final thoughts from Peoria? Yeah, I think one thing I, I thought kind of spoke to the quality of the, not only the quality of the coaches in that state title game, but also the quality of the players because they were able to, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? They were able to do what their coaches told them to do. <laughs> you know, that they were able to execute the plan was how interesting it was that the, the key player in the semi for both teams was shut down in the title game by the opponents. And, you know, that was Blake Peters for Evanston, you know, they did a great job of keeping the ball out of his hands and not letting him, you know, it wasn't just that Blake Peters missed, you know, he missed some at the end, but he wasn't getting the ball, you know, no, to get his shots. Guard him yeah, they denied him. That was great. And then on the opposite side, somehow Evanston stopped Keith Randolph. <laughs> it was Lance Jones played his butt off. Um, Jalen Gibson did some work, but it was primarily Lance Jones undersized in every way against Keith Randolph did an amazing job because Keith Randolph, I mean, he was the leading scorer in the title game last year, wasn't he? Well, he was a monster in the Curie game. Exactly. Yeah. So both teams were able to nullify to a large amount, you know, the key player in, in the semi. So that, that was really impressive to watch. Um, but then the problem is you got EJ Liddell out there. Yeah. I mean, and and two terrific coaches. I mean, Joe, I, I, these last two years and just, kind of talking with him and getting to know him and watching his teams play. That's a good coach. And, and Mike Ells, I've, I've praised Mike Ells for years and from his Richwoods days. And, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they are two of our, you know, two of our better coaches in, uh, in our state. And uh, it, it's fun. Those matchups are fun too. Um, and there's a little bit more preparation. I know people are forget about the fact or the days of, the old Elite Eight, where you would play Friday night and then basically play the semifinal game 
that yeah. next morning and then play the championship game Saturday night. I mean, there's there's zero prep going in. At least now, you play Friday night, they, they crank it up in the hotel and watch film and, and do work into the wee hours and go through maybe a walkthrough and, and sit with the team in the morning and you got your day to go through it and plan some more. The coaches get together and make some calls and talk to people and and there is a little bit more preparation involved and the coach has a little bit bigger hand in things than they ever did back in the Elite Eight days. So, you know, they, they took full advantage of that with those two coaches for sure. Yeah, it was, and it was a fun game. I should also mention that it felt like a state title game. There was intensity. You know, it had storylines. It was exciting. Uh, it was high level, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. It, it was yeah. a high-level, competitive game. Uh, and it, like you said, it was, a, it was a fun to watch game. And then, you you know, the – you know, I don't want to – the 3A title game, I, I mean, East St. Louis won. They did. But I, Bogan had – they had, that was Bogan's game to win, and if the oh, game yeah, was. Yeah. is managed differently, and if decisions are are made differently, Bogan is your state champion. I, and it's kind of the opposite of I want to critique and criticize, but it's the opposite of what we're talking about with that four A game. It, it just got out of the out of control, and and it slipped away from them. You know, I, and that's you know that's just the difference. Um, in those two games, now it's exciting. I mean, it was it was a little bit more helter skelter and frenetic, and and the the more dramatic finish down to the wire, that the, the finish with the dunk at the buzzer, right in the regulation, and yeah, it, it just yeah. wasn't as clean of a game. Um, Scuttlebutt as, in the city is that was lane violation, <laughs> according to the tape. The uh, dunk that tied the game in re- at, at the end of regulation and the missed free throw. Well, I have not looked at the tape. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I, it, he certainly had a clear path. So either yeah. it was a failed, miserable box out, or <laughs> he did get in there early. One of the two, because it was way too easy. Yeah, yeah, that was a shocker. Um, but a great game though. I still, I hate that. I hate that feel. I hate it. The afternoon, I think I delete, I tweeted it out and then deleted it because I felt like oh three a in the afternoon. Yeah, I hate it. Oh, hundred yeah. oh. it, percent. It's, I, I mean, I I know why they do it. Yeah, because nobody would be in the arena for the two third place games, but I just think they they missed out on a to grow the sport and to to make it more appealing to a lot of people is playing those two championship games at night. Yeah, total no-brainer, yeah. I mean, I I think people, if you played it, even, what time does that game start? Uh, Allegedly 7, but they have all, 7.15. No, but the third place game before that. Oh, I have no idea. I'm just, what what time would the 3A championship game have started, is what I'm saying. Oh, well, it would be like 5 and 7.15 or 6 and 8. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you get it early enough, you're going to get a lot of people, not a lot, but you're going to get more people to drive down and, and, and okay, well, let's just go and see the two championship games. Oh, yeah. You know I mean? yeah. That's I mean, what no. would happen now. If they do this one weekend, it'll finally move the 3A title game tonight, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, will definitely be good. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't. And, you know, they've been great games the last few years, too. It's not like these 3A well, games aren't good. Yeah, and I don't know if it's. If, I don't know if I just wrote this. I can't remember what I wrote and what's still coming. 
we've had five. Uh, I put this in either some notebook or oh, overtime. Yeah. yeah, five yeah. overtimes in three years. Yeah, in all the classes, we had three overtimes. I forgot we had three overtimes mm-hmm. in two years ago. I think um, in championship games. So yeah, they've had definitely good title games. I mean, there's when's the last lemon. Like when was the last really bad title game? Hmm. I mean, I, I I'm pulling it up. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, was it at Simeon? Maybe the end of that run. I mean, last year overtime, Delville West won in overtime. Uh, Morgan, well, I guess Morgan Park Southeast was not very good. Seventy-one yeah. fifty-six. Yeah. Three A four the year before with both overtimes. Uh. Kiri beat Bennett by six. Yeah. Oh, here's a bad one. <laughs> we remember this one? Belleville Alts off. Oh, yeah. Well, Lincoln Way was 62 to 37. Yeah, Yeesh. the Marco Pettinato run came to a crashing halt. Yeah. Stevenson crushed normal. I guess we had our share of. So that, so that would be the last foray? Yeah. Lincoln shot, or Stevenson beat normal in 2015 by 17. That's our last lopsided four a game not a bad run but yeah it was a i thought all four teams in four a were excellent um I thought, the, I thought the games on friday were bad though yeah there wasn't um I mean, evans and rockford east was entertaining yeah that was super fun to watch but the other ones the belleville yeah. west cura game would just really let everybody down yes big time uh, um that was disappointing the depaul prep game was, was not bad. good yeah, and the manual, yeah, oh yeah. So we had three baddies <laughs> and one, uh, right. one one excellent one. But, you know, overall, I think a uh, solid finish to the season. Um, you got anything else, Joe? No. Uh... We will wrap <laughs> it up. Thanks for listening all year, everybody. Uh, another one in the books. Have a great spring and summer. Mm-hmm.